Back to Jared takes as always Jonah Hoffman and Ryan Rogers on the mic and uh, we had a pretty awesome Seattle weekend with you know the Mariners clinching over the Blue Jays and uh, I mean even though the Seahawks lost we saw good gameplay from Gino which is very encouraging so uh, yeah. I'll give it to you Ryan would you uh, well I guess first off how about that comeback I yeah that has got to be one of the crazier finishes in MLB playoff history I mean was it nine to one at one point or eight to one it was eight to one and then it was nine to uh or yeah eight to one and then we got four and then they got one so it was nine to five was the eventual deficit and then we came I yeah I can't believe it I can't it's hard to put into words (laughs) Like after seeing that and witnessing, yeah, I back, honestly I, I lost faith. I'm I'm too much of a fair weather fan, so I was like, oh, well, at least they have tomorrow to I to w- win the tiebreaker. I didn't think we would come back, um, but I, I I mean I was like, yeah, we'll just have to look forward to game three. But I wasn't like like I was surprisingly like okay with the situation we were in and. I assumed we were going to lose, but I didn't lose faith completely, if that makes sense. So, like, mm-hmm. but you didn't I turn d- the TV I, off. No, I kept watching. I did have to go to work, but we were watching it at work, so even when we were down, so I was like, oh, well, maybe we'll we'll come back and win. Who knows? But yeah, it's there's something about this team, man. There there is just something special about this team, and you see this in sports when teams go on a magical run. You think of the Bengals last year, mm-hmm. um, and they came up just short, but. Man, like I'm I believe at this point the Mariners have the pieces right now to take this all the way to the finish line. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because they're actually like as far as the rebuild, they're way ahead of schedule because last year they weren't supposed to be a 91 team and even this year uh they won the same amount of regular season games, but I don't think I think a lot of people would have settled for losing the series to Toronto and just getting back. I personally have higher expectations for them. Like if we can run the table and beat, excuse me, beat Houston this week, then I think sky's the limit with this team. I don't, I don't think there's a team in the MLB that gives the Mariners a tougher time than the Astros too. So if they can pull this series off, like who's to say they can't take it all the way. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot to look forward to this week and, Pretty, just got to say, it's so stupid that we are playing at 1230 tomorrow and on Thursday. Oh, we are? Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. I'm not even going to be able to watch that. Yeah, it's like we got the early games this weekend. Why do we have to? I don't know. It's frustrating. It's pretty lame. But anyway, um, we'll get So the next series is a best of five or is it a best of seven? Yeah, so it goes uh, best of three, which is what we just did, best Mm -hmm. of five, and then best of seven twice for the CS and the World Series. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be kind of tough, too, because we, as far as our pitching goes, Robbie Ray got shelled. He didn't do great. On Saturday, and he does not have a great track record with Houston. I went to a game earlier this year with Dylan, and he gave up like a home run on the first pitch, I think, to Altuve. Oh, geez. So 
Yeah, I, pitching is going to be tough. Uh, I, Logan Gilbert is starting game one, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty, He's had a pretty solid comfortable season. with that um, that roster move. But uh, yeah, we need Castillo hopefully to be. He'll be ready by Thursday, and we'll he pitch him game two. He had such a good game on yeah, Friday. He was it throwing was crazy, like a hundred miles an hour into like the eighth inning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and his like, what do you call it, like change up or slider or whatever. Those yeah. were like in the mid nineties. Yeah, the like, sinker. Yeah, <laughs> that's unheard that's just of. Unfair. He's a freak. Yeah, yeah. I'm very glad we when we traded for him, we traded away like three of our top five prospects, and I was like, oh man, I'm kind of worried that we gave up the, the whole farm to get one player who, let's be real, like I didn't really know that much about because he played for the reds. I didn't really know that much about Suarez and Winker when we got them. Cause the reds are, I mean, I they never hear good. about them. Yeah. They're, they're not like a powerhouse <clears throat> big market team. They're a small market similar to us and they share, uh, the state with two or two other teams or one another team. I can't remember how many teams are in Ohio. I think just two, but, um, yeah, so very happy that we have him to rely on for at least two games per series, mm-hmm. you can say. Yeah, that makes me feel like we have a legit chance because the way he was pitching last week, if he can repeat that performance, like I don't know how you score <laughs> as the opposing team on that. Yeah, and it's nice because, I mean, this isn't a good problem to have, but he always seems to struggle against... Uh, weaker teams weaker opponents like the a's did pretty good against him a couple a couple of times and the game where we were up 11 to 2 and lost mm-hmm. <clears throat> he was pitching um i didn't but, realize that but it i feel like he's gonna step up and perform well against an astros team that has had our number all well, 12 times this year so it would certainly just be another chapter of the cinderella story they've been writing so far this season that would just make it all the more satisfying if we make it to the top this team it i think i mentioned this on a different podcast but it reminds me a lot of the 2012 seahawks because that was russell's rookie year and this is julio's rookie year and it's feels like things are kind of just getting started and uh to that note i was actually gonna say this makes me think of 2012 but if we had beaten Atlanta in that crazy comeback, yeah, because now we get to play the team that is like our big brother that kind of beats up on us. Like mm-hmm. the, for, you know, going back in time to 2012, the 49ers had really had our number the last like two, two and a half seasons leading up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, once they got Harbaugh and uh, Alex Smith going and yeah. stuff like that. So it's it's a very similar situation. So I hope they can pull it off. Yeah. And. Uh, on the other side of the bracket, the Yankees and the Guardians, I don't. I could be wrong. We either went six and one or seven and zero oh against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. We they don't scare me at all. I mean, I just gave you those numbers. They, yeah. that shouldn't scare anybody. And then the Yankees, we also won the series, the overall series, season series against them too. So we can beat both of those teams. They don't worry me as much as the Astros do. And we don't have a lot of margin for error as opposed to it's five game series as opposed to a seven game series. So Mm -hmm. 
Fingers crossed against Houston. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, yeah, I mean, I I only got to watch the game Friday night, but you have any other Mariners-related comments going into this? Or um, is it just... Nope, just... We're uh, going to be hosting a playoff game for the first time in a long time this yeah, weekend. Pretty yeah. Pretty crazy. I know. I'm still not sure if I'm going to be going to that or not, be, just because I have to work already, so I would need to get that covered. And... I don't know. I feel like it's going to be so crowded that last time I experienced that, it was kind of annoying. <laughs> I, I don't think I was ready for T-Mobile Park to be uh, Lumen Field-esque as far as the volume of people. Being the at stadium. the Broncos game this year was the most crowded I've ever seen that area of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to park two miles from the stadium and just jog because there was, every single lot was so completely full. And they were charging like $70 to park. It was outrageous. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Um, but yeah, it's definitely historic times for the Mariners. So mm-hmm. we're all going to be tuned in this weekend. Oh, yeah. And I guess later this week tracking while we're at work. Cause yeah, I can thankfully new. watch the game tomorrow, but I have to work during the Thursday game. Mm. And that's frustrating. But. Yeah, I'll just have to check the score periodically. But that's how I track baseball most of the time anyway. So right. not a big deal for me. But uh, shifting gears towards the NFL and the game yesterday, um, it was a tough one. It was Mm -hmm. a tough it's tough to win when we make a couple just absolutely boneheaded mistakes like the punt botched whatever the hell that was where Michael Dixon decides to roll out and Mm -hmm. not kick the ball for some reason. You have the DK fumble, not fumble that. I mean, I don't think that was a fumble. I think he was down. I thought that was a really stupid overturn Mm -hmm. or I guess no overturn by the officials. But at the end of the day, I mean, DK, how many times you got to learn this lesson, man? Just like hang on to that ball and secure it when you're going to to the ground. He needs to take a page out of Tyler Lockett's book, even though it's not (laughs) DK-esque. He needs to just fall down. Well, well, especially in the middle of the field I'm not saying every time, but... Instead of fumbling, just go down, dude. Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing if he's in single coverage and it's like 30 yards down the field. But when you're in the middle of the field and there's linebackers coming at you, like, yeah, he's 230 and Jack, but linebackers are like 250. Like, they -hmm. can hit that ball out like they did. So uh, that was annoying. But, man, I don't want to spend this podcast just complaining about the refs, but they were fucking terrible yesterday. Yeah, they were not good. They were just awful and very often in favor of the saints but you know gino played well enough to win the offense played well enough to win i thought um the offensive line held up really well save a few plays and pass protection and the run blocking was better than it's been for a a few games this season against a saints front that's actually quite formidable against the run Mm. um so unfortunate to see rashad penny go down like that his season is likely done unless we make the playoffs or something yeah uh, i read that his season's over today yeah because it's at least like a like 10 to 12 week recovery time yeah which would put us right around january but um, on the bright side, Kenneth Walker finally had his breakout performance. He looked fast on that 69-yard touchdown run. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, Rashad Penny's kind of like a bullet shot out of a gun when he gets into the open field. And I think Kenneth Walker might actually be a little bit faster. Yeah. I mean, he certainly looks lighter than Rashad He's Penny. He's smaller. Yeah. yeah. 
Sean um, Petty's like almost 240. He's huge. Yeah, yeah. I, You know, when Kenneth Walker got that big breakthrough run for a touchdown, I kind of had the feeling like we were getting a shift in momentum. And then I think it was, what, the next drive we had was the DK? The, uh, or the next drive they had, they scored fast. and then, it, it was the Taysom Hill run right after. Yeah. We, the Kenneth Walker run was in the fourth quarter, and we went up 32-31 mm-hmm. with that play. And uh, at that point, I was like, man, like we actually have a chance to win this game after really kind of just having some sloppy mistakes and horrible breaks from the officials. Mm-hmm. But literally the next drive, we make Taysom Hill look like Derrick Henry. And um, Tariq Woolen actually ran 23 miles an hour to catch up to him on that play. They clocked it. Next uh-huh. gen stats. That was the fastest any NFL player has ran since Raheem Mostert in 2020. I saw um, and it was a difference of tenths of a mile per hour. So Tariq Woolen is seriously one of the fastest guys in the world. <laughs> well, that- I don't know if it means too much, but Tariq Woolen's name has been mentioned in our show basically since the start of training camp. So yeah, that's a good sign that we have someone on our defense that's doing something good. Him and Al Woods and Nuosu are really the only guy. Well, actually, Kobe Bryant, I think, is starting to play better and better. He's yeah. forced three fumbles, which actually leads the NFL, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond those four guys and the occasional uh, Jordan Brooks had a good hit that just made me smile. But other than that, he kind of just looks like a guy out there. Um, our defense is just so fucking bad. It's so bad, and it's not getting... It, the thing is, they actually played better than last week, mm-hmm. I thought, because they forced four punts, but, man, it was like Taysom Hill looked like the best football player who's ever lived <laughs> against our defense when, I mean, has he done anything this season besides yesterday? Yeah, no, he like, hasn't. It's frustrating. I mean, you think of Cordero Patterson and, you know, Hawkinson the week before, and now Taysom Hill, it's like... Every loss we've had has been one killer yeah. against us, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 super frustrating. I guess the 49ers game was more of a slow, methodical, miserable death, but um this But deep- it was their run game that I feel like ripped us apart. Yeah, and that's kind of what's different about this year as opposed to others, is um we at least in the past we could stop the run decently well. I think last year we only allowed like just above or just under four yards per carry we're allowing five yards per carry this season and when you do that it's so hard to get off the field because every third down is like a third and two or a third and one and the the thing that's concerning is i don't know what they can do to fix it this year they're kind of stuck with the defensive line that they have right now and i think the line and the linebackers and um by extension the safety play has i mean that's like most of the fucking defense there. But uh, basically the front seven has been a huge disappointment, especially in run defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got to say, I mean, I think the switch to the 3-4 front hasn't worked well at all. And I wonder if... I'm getting to the point where I'm wondering if they're going to actually stick with this change and, you know, just take the growing pains as they come. Or if Pete's going to be like all right, fuck this. We're going back to four, three cover three, my thing. Cause that's what I know how to do. I don't know what the answer is, but something's got to give because there's no way Pete is satisfied having the worst, objectively the worst defense in the NFL. I mean, we've given up the most points. We've 
given up bottom two in yards and we've given up i think the most yards per carry rushing so yeah it really has been a bummer how some of our guys like daryl taylor haven't been able to transition and make take that next step in being an anchor on our defense it's because like you're saying there really isn't a definitive answer of how to solve this it kind of just just like well do we change the whole scheme or do we keep it around and just kind of deal with it and ride it out and Frankly, see how the season progresses the more i watch the more i'm just kind of like these players just aren't very good i think you know this to me this season has always been about finding out what we have to continue the rebuild into next year and not really caring about the wins and losses but with our offense playing this well, it's really frustrating for the defense to suck this hard. Yeah. Even if we just had a mediocre defense, we could legitimately be having playoff talk right now because Gino is playing that good. Tyler Lockett and DK are playing that good. The tight end group looks awesome. The running game is getting going, and the offensive line is the best one that we've fielded in a very long time, eight mm-hmm. years at least, I would say. So... On the optimistic side, I love how quick we've been able to turn around this offense, and Shane Waldron is kind of finding his groove as a coordinator. Um, But I'm firmly in the camp right now that we should use both of our first-round picks on defense, linebacker and someone in the front seven, or I guess just both of them in the front seven. And I hate to say it, and I think he'll turn it around because he's been one of the best the last few years, but Quandre Diggs has not been playing good. No, he hasn't, and... It, uh, I feel like yesterday when we were watching him play, he was just like missing one-on-one tackles. Yeah, and that seemed, uh, from what I remember, that was like one of the things he was better at doing. Well, and it seems like part of it, he's he's just getting to the one-on-one situation like half a second later than usual. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming a harder tackle to make than you know if someone catches the ball or whatever and. You get to them as they're turning up field. It's a lot easier to make the tackle than when they have a chance to like juke make you out. A move. Yeah. yeah. And so it makes me wonder if that injury he had last year has made him lose a step in speed. It's, it's possible. Not, yeah. It's not too hard to make that conclusion, but I'm more inclined to give him a pass because I know as a safety, if everything in front of you is bad, it makes your job way harder. And um, I think the fact that he's having to make all these one-on-one tackles just shows you blown assignments and just overall bad defense um the again defense is a cohesive effort it's not if if your defense is contingent upon a bunch of people winning one-on-one matchups and making isolated good plays you're gonna lose a lot because it's a you want multiple guys tackling a player at once you know yeah you want to give safety help when you can and avoid tough one-on-one matchups and it just doesn't seem to be happening and uh, Sam Gold on uh, Twitter and Maddie Brown, they're two guys that know way more about football than I do. And they keep saying how it looks like missed assignment after missed assignment um, when they watch. So it seems to be schematic changes, coaching, and just frankly, a lack of talent in the front seven are all coinciding to what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So I hope Pete can just light a fire under their ass and make them just play a little more disciplined and maybe make things a little easier on them. I don't know what they have to do, but um, I don't expect them to suddenly become a top 10 unit this season, but if they can at least just get to be like the 22nd best defense instead of the 32nd, we could end up 
you know, with a pretty decent record at the end of the year. Is our defense worse than the uh, Lions? I think uh, right now in terms of points allowed it is because think about it. We've given up 82 in the last two weeks. Yeah, I guess that's That's, true. That's crazy because we were just behind the Lions before, or I guess Mm -hmm. in front of the Lions, but they gave up 27. We gave up 37. So there you go. But on the flip side of that, we are the number one offense by DVOA now. So at this point, I think it's it's safe to say it's no longer a fluke. The Did G- we ever figure out what DVOA stood for? Um, I did, and then I forgot. Let me look it up real quick. Um, it is defense adjusted value over average. Um, basically, some person did a lot of math and came up <laughs> with this formula that seems to do a good job ranking teams' if, um, performances. But, gotcha. Um, Oh, just for defenses or no, 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 no. It's it. There's DVOA for offense and defense and special teams, which um, I feel like our special teams hasn't gotten enough flack the last few weeks for how the games have played out, but they really do deserve it. Um, We've had some fumbles on punts. We've had kind of just dumb penalties covering punts. And we had that horrible botched whatever punt with Michael Dixon getting tackled last week. And mm-hmm. that's something that really needs to improve fast. Um, but yeah, was there anyone that really stood out to you during the game last week or I mean, Gino, I can't say it enough. He's starting to make me think like I was saying last episode, like we need to maybe even talk about what is that? This is the DVOA offensive rankings. We're number oh. one with Baltimore and Kansas City rounding out the top three. Damn. Yeah, see, it's just so funny because everyone thought, in myself included, that Seattle's offense was going to be the thing holding us back and the defense was going to be our strong point. Yeah, I said that many times and over the course of the offseason. Turns out that it's the complete opposite and it's <laughs> like not close at all. Yeah, um, Gino's performance so far this season has been the most one of the most surprising things I've ever seen in 17 years of watching football because he you know, he played good against the Jaguars last year, but overall I thought it was a pretty like extreme game manager uh type of quarterback play that we got from Gino. It's making me kind of wonder if we are, Pete is doing what he said he was going to do about the whole like letting him off the leash so to speak. Well, I mean, it seems like it. You think of those throws to Tyler Lockett, those were into triple coverage. And Gino just threaded that baby in there so perfectly, like 53 yards downfield. Mm-hmm. Those are one of the best throws I've seen all season. Yeah. That was a just. Which we got to put the Seahawks talk on pause for a moment and go over to our friends in Denver and just talk about how Russell has looked. Yeah, I forgot to bring that up, but holy shit, has that trade looked like a win for us so far? Yeah, I when back when we did it in March, I was obviously on this on the side of why are we, you know, keeping our coach who is not young by any means and it seems like the NFL every other second is hiring some young 30-something-year-old dude to come in and take over in a new scheme, whatever, like in Denver, for example. Yeah, Hackett. Hackett. He's like in his 40s or something. Something like that. But point being is when we traded 
Russ, I was on the side of wanting Russ here and couldn't believe that we chose the former over the latter. And it really didn't make sense at the time because, I mean, we thought Russ was maybe at the tail end of his prime, but still in his prime. He had thrown 25 touchdowns to sure. only six picks, still had a above 100 passer rating and was still hitting that deep ball super well, even with the finger injury towards the end of the year. But I seriously just watching Russell play right now. I think something is seriously shot with his confidence. Um, It it brings to mind that his uh, mental coach, Trevor Moad passed away last year and he's been real shaky overall since then, you know, with little moments of brilliance popping up here and there. But I have to think that, you know, the booze from the crowd and the media just kind of shitting all over him. And frankly, what it looks like his teammates getting frustrated with him too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all culminating into a really toxic situation. And I, I do feel a bit sorry for Russell Wilson, the human, but when it comes to Russell Wilson, the player, like, dude, this is what you wanted. This is what you asked for. This is what you were bitching about for all those years well, through your team and, you know, saying you're going to go to this perfect situation and yada, yada, yada. You wanted to be in this division with all these top quarterbacks. You wanted the pressure. This is what you asked for. And I think it's a it's a classic moment of be careful what you wish for. He is getting absolutely eviscerated by every media source. I mean, Pat McAfee was shitting all over him. Matt Hasselbeck was oh, saying shit about him. That's uh, what I was... You had Randy Moss. <clears throat> Eli Manning the week before said they should have been paying the punter 250 million. Well, and uh, I didn't even the what I was gonna say was you also have people on like I think it's the NFL Good Morning on NFL Network it's some some channel. Good morning like football. That. Good morning football. Uh, one of the hosts on there called Russell Wilson a poser. Did you hear that yeah, sound bite? Yeah, I, I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh dang, that like hearing someone say that about him and like uh on a show like that is like it just that hearing that word and associating it with russell wilson is just as like dang that's it's crazy harsh yeah it's i mean and i've even had some enjoyment in the shitting on him over the last few months but at this point because he's still someone that you know i had so much love for and did so many great things for our organization just watching the whole world kind of turn on him uh, just goes to show how much on-field performance dictates media treatment, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people had these feelings about Russell Wilson for years, about his corniness and atti- attitude, but he threw such a damn good deep ball. We don't care about it. We're not going to make fun of him for it. But now that he's playing like shit, everyone's like, he's fake as fuck. He's a phony. He's... You and know. everyone, Gino, the praise he's getting is like the complete opposite. It was like, I I don't know, some like upside down Stranger Things universe where like they switched lives or something. Because yeah. Now Gino <laughs> is getting all the love. Yeah. And now Gino is throwing beautiful deep balls to Tyler Lockett between <laughs> defenders. Like, oh, it's it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, I could not have predicted that this would be where we are five weeks into the season. And, you know, I, I'm pissed that we lost against Atlanta and New Orleans, but I don't really even care because our defense is so bad. Like, what are we going to do in the playoffs if we make it? But yeah, from Denver's perspective, dude, 
they sold the farm for this guy. They're like, we are a quarterback away from Super Bowl contention. And they look like one of the worst. They look worse than us, objectively. Like, yeah. their offense, their defense looks much, much better than ours. But their offense is the most dysfunctional, like, useless-looking thing I've ever seen. They couldn't score a touchdown. Well, and uh, so I was listening to this segment um, that uh, Colin Cowherd was talking about, about the Giants and why they've been doing good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really even think about this, but it's it's totally true. Their coach, the guy that they brought in from uh, Buffalo, he's been getting the ball to Saquon Barkley like on a... I can't remember what the numbers were, but a very high percentage of their offensive plays mm-hmm. are getting him the ball like on most I know of he's those, having a monster fantasy season. On most of those years. And I've yeah, I've had him on my team for this is this'll be my fourth year now, um, of having Barkley on my one of my dynasty teams. And I've always been frustrated because I'm like, why are you putting the ball in Daniel Jones's hands. He sucks. <laughs> and Saquon Barkley is like a generational talent. Yeah. And like, I feel like they're doing good because they're following that. One of the parts of the formula in the fact that they're getting the ball to their best player. Mm. And, uh, I brought this up because of Denver. Uh, they need, they should have been getting the ball to their best player, Javante Williams give him the ball every time. Now, granted, he's hurt, torn ACL now, but, like, when they were running the ball, Richard Sherman put it pretty bluntly last Thursday, they would have success. And Russell trying to throw in the red zone every chance that they get is just poor game management. Yeah, yeah, and just the situational management, too. Of I mean, they were up, like, 12 to 9, I want to say, in the red zone, Two minutes left or so. Colts have no timeouts. You just, I mean, you can take a fucking knee and kick a field goal at that point, and you're in a way better position to win the game than having Wilson, you know, throw a pick in the end zone to mm-hmm. Stephon Gilmore. Like, I, I just, I, on that play, I don't know what he was thinking. Both of his interceptions were for a guy that's famously protected the football at an elite rate over his entire career. He just looks like a like someone else is in his body controlling him with the decisions he's making. But so also, I'm you, man, Freaky Friday, Geno Smith and him swapped. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly looks like it. Um, but uh, the the situational management of like critical moments in games from Wilson and Hackett has been horrific. Um, I know there's that meme floating around of um, what's his name, uh, Gordon, uh, the running back. The fuck is his name? Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon. Yeah, on Denver, he just is kind of like glaring at Russ on the sidelines after Russ did something bad. Oh, I haven't seen that. But I, every time I see that meme floating around, I'm like, Gordon, you fumbled like four times this year. Like <laughs> you're a big reason why the team is two and three as well. So like. <laughs> You don't really have room to talk there, buddy. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, what is Denver's identity right now? I mean, Jerry Judy, yeah, he's very physically talented. He's not a very consistent player yet. This is all offseason I've been saying, if not on this podcast, but just in passing, like 
I don't get why the media was hyping up Denver's weapons so much because Cortland Sutton is really good and Javante Williams is really good. Um, outside of that, I don't think their receivers are any better than what we have in Seattle. I mean, look at how fuck, look at how fucking good DK and Tyler are doing with Geno and the uh, the uh, tight ends. Um, Noah Fant was one of their main weapons. He's kind of like second in command to Will Disley in in our offense, um, and it's working out great for us. We're in Denver. There's all sorts of miscommunications. I've been saying I've been hearing some people say they think they're trying to run an Aaron Rodgers offense with Russell Wilson and it's just not clicking for whatever reason. Well, the reason is because Russell Wilson can't do what Aaron Rodgers can do, but he thinks he can. And I mean, well, no one can do what Aaron Rodgers can do besides like Mahomes, basically. Yeah. Like it's not it's not a sustainable mold to build your team around if you don't have that guy. And what Wilson is good at, he's really good at, at least in years past. You know, play action, deep ball, just being clutch, being mobile, all those things, he was like top tier at. But all these like intermediate, you know, like quick game and just precision. Yeah, I high. Uh, he he really seems to just want to fit this pocket passer mold. Yeah, and it's almost like it's almost it's weird because the quarterback position has changed in the past twenty years, where you do have a lot of more players playing the position like him and i feel like mahomes is kind of like a like a hybrid like he's like an aaron Rodgers and a russell wilson maybe not as agile and escape houdini-esque as wilson was in his like heyday Mm -hmm. but it's just weird that russell wants to go away from that completely because he's not running i know and i feel like he's not running because he wants to prove to people that he doesn't need to but it's like dude you need to do what you're good at you know not what you want to be good at Mm -hmm. if you want to be good in a league as hard as the nfl so it's i've kind of been thinking that for the last few years actually is i feel like a lot of russell wilson's play has been in defiance of some narratives about him and that he's trying to prove doubters wrong or whatever um but he's clearly a lot worse at those things than you know what he is good at which is like play action getting outside the pocket using well his- he wants to be mr unlimited and being mr unlimited apparently means trying to do things that you're not good at doing and then being stubborn about it when you're not good at them and then trying to you know just keep going down that path further and further until you're lost and don't have an identity like the Denver Broncos (laughs) are currently in that state. (laughs) Yeah. And just to compound the, the Denver Broncos woes, um, they got major injury problems. I think one of their offensive linemen is out for the year now to add to the list of injuries they've been racking up. They're stuck with Wilson for five years. There's no way out of this. They're going to be paying him like, close to $40 million a year for the next five years. It makes no sense to try to draft a quarterback or I I don't know what they're going to do. They just have to make Wilson work. Um, Even if they fire Hackett, I mean, is that going to be good for the team's morale? I don't think so. It's a toxic situation and it's basically all on Russ to right the ship. And And he's hurt too. Yeah. He has an injured shoulder. Well, it's certainly not helping, uh, their case for how many primetime games they've been getting too. Yeah. It seems like every they're, week they're, they have they, another one coming up Monday night, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not not looking good. And yeah, it's just so funny because we have like remember when the schedule came out, we noticed we had the two mandatory ones, the Monday yeah. night and the Thursday night, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And we've been playing a lot more entertaining football than the Denver Broncos. I have, think we're so. one of the most exciting teams to watch right now, partially because our defense is so bad and there's a score on every drive, Yeah, <laughs> no matter which <laughs> team is up. But yeah. yeah, Denver's been fucking unwatchable. Yeah, I, So many people were saying that was the worst game they've ever seen on Thursday. And before that, they had the other worst game when they played San Francisco. Yeah. The 10 to 11 game. Yeah. Yeah. Denver, the highest amount of points they scored all season was against the Raiders in that 32 to 23 game that they yeah. lost. 23 points. That's the most they've, that's their ceiling. That's what Gino puts up in a half, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy birthday, Gino Smith, by the way. Um, today is his birthday, October 10th. We almost have the same birthday, actually. I did not realize that. Um, he's going to be, he's 32 now. So I guess last thing I want to talk about before we sign off is Gino has played well enough to the point where in a world where it was easy and seamless to sign a quarterback, that's a pending unrestricted, unrestricted free agent to a not mega deal. I'd love to just sign him for the next three years, maybe draft someone, maybe not, but just, you know, load up on the defense and, let's roll with what we have because this offense is good enough to compete at any level. Um, Agreed. But here's the thing. Let's think about the last few quarterbacks that have actually been allowed to hit free agency. Number one, Brock Osweiler. Do you remember how much he got paid? Yeah, he sucked. Yeah. And he got paid big time money for like a few games of mediocre play. Then you have Jimmy Garoppolo. He got paid, I think, upwards of $20 million a year in 2018 for five games that he did decent. You think of Matt Flynn all those years ago in 2012. Yeah. We gave him $10 million because of one fucking game. And you think of Kirk Cousins when he signed with the Vikings. It was like a mostly guaranteed contract. Something well into the 20 to $30 million a year. For a guy who's... You know, I actually think Kirk Cousins gets too much hate because he does put up good numbers, but never been an elite quarterback. Um, the way Geno Smith is playing right now, let's say Tom Brady retires. He probably will. You don't think Tampa's going to want a guy that's ready to win to put on their roster and just be able to throw whatever price tag at him? Like, there's a very good chance that Geno is going to be a very rich man coming in March in the next free agency period. So if given the choice between moving on and just taking a quarterback with our first round pick or committing to Gino long-term, where are you at with that at this point? Um, well, I would say in response to what you just said about other teams like Tampa going after him, I would personally pump the brakes on that because I don't foresee a team rolling the dice on a guy like Gino because, like you said, it's the most shocking thing you've seen on all of your years watching football, seeing a guy like him just start performing out of nowhere. I almost feel like it. Like a lot of that has to do with Pete Carroll being in that setting in order for something like that to happen. But um, with that being said, I do think, like, I don't think we're going to have to break the bank to keep Gino around if we if he has a 
successful season and we win nine or ten games, something around that number. Um, but uh, yeah, I would I would sign Gino to hopefully like have him around the next couple seasons because I'm a, I'm in the thinking of using our first four draft picks, the two in the second, first and the two in the second, just get defense. Yeah. That's, that's what, what I, I think we should do. Get if nothing else is linebacker. We're not a quarterback away from anything. Yeah. You know, this is not a quarterback problem. What's wrong with our team right now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you there. I think the one, I, I guess I just overall disagreed. I think he is going to break the bank this offseason. Unless he shits his pants the rest of the year, then I think we could get him back super cheap. But I just quarterbacks get paid, dude. Even Mitch Trubisky got a lot of guaranteed money for from the Steelers just for being a backup and being shitty for the Bears. Like, if we could get Geno for even, I would say, I would go all the way up to $20 million a year because with the way the cap is increasing and the way the quarterback market has changed, this level of quarterback play for 20 million a year is a discount. I'm down for that, but, um, and I could see that happening, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, teams get crazy and they get greedy in free agency. I mean, look at what, um, Christian Kurt got from the Jaguars as a receiver, like just crazy stuff has been happening. So it just comes to me, it comes down to, is it better to, you know, shell out for Geno? I don't think it's a terrible move, but if we can get a rookie quarterback that's making pennies on the dollar compared to that and load up um, on defensive players and free agency that are more of a guarantee for success, that could be a better strategy, especially with the quarterback class we got coming up. But I think... Either way, it's a good problem to have, to have your supposed-to-be journeyman, stopgap veteran quarterback playing at a near-MVP level. There's a lot worse problems to have in the league. But I think mm-hmm. I think it's creating a very unique situation for the team long-term and one that I haven't really seen before. This whole thing is it's unique. It's bizarro world-level stuff going on with Gino. But yeah. I, I'm all for it. It's making this, if nothing else, this season has been fucking fun to watch besides the San Francisco game. And that's really all I could ask for for this season because no one thought that we had a chance for much of anything other than the number one pick this year. So to see us actually be competitive and entertaining, it's great. Yeah, I agree. Um, But yeah, I guess the draft and offseason talk is more of a discussion for later, but it's something to think about as these games are, are going on. So guess to wrap up our next game is against the cardinals at home a team that's notorious for not caring about the 12th man advantage um i like our odds to beat the cardinals this week though because the saints have a much better defense than the cardinals do and we still were able to put up 32 points it's just it all comes down to if we can go kyler into making some mistakes yeah this game i'm not sure uh, I think it'll be a shootout. I'm just going to start saying it's going to be a shootout every week until our defense proves me otherwise. I feel like we got to score 40 to win any games this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because our defense can't do anything as, yeah. as far as stopping anybody. The only thing it can do is Al Woods its way to a sack and have Tariq Woolen get a pick, who's gotten three picks in the last three games. That's that's pretty cool. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, but. the Cardinals have some weapons, though. I don't foresee our defense stopping no. Zach Ertz, Hollywood Brown. It's going to be frustrating. Guys. I mean, we do have, uh, what's his name? Um, DeAndre Hopkins is suspended still, so we can take advantage of that, hopefully, but probably not. See, normally I would agree with you, but like, think of the last two teams we've played and how undermanned they've been and the players yeah, that have been out for right. them. I mean, we only had like a, like two and a half quarters of Chris Olave as the Saints' main weapon, and it didn't matter. The Lions had their practice squad running running routes against us, and Jerry Goff still threw for like 700 billion yards. Which, speaking of the Lions, what a weird game after us to yeah. put up 45 and then zero yeah. the next week <laughs> against a shitty New England team. I watched some of that game, and they just played bad. Like I know Bill Belichick is really good at coordinating a defense, but... The Lions just sucked ass against the Pats. I watched the game. They executed a lot worse off than they did against us. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the deal with that is because sometimes a team plays the Seahawks and it's like they're making amazing catches. They're like playing so crisp. And then I watched them the next week and they're like fucking up basic football operations. And mm-hmm. I feel like week to week, you get teams are not the same week to week, yeah. is, is what I'm trying to say. And we, we kind of keep getting unlucky on getting at a team on their good week. Mm-hmm. But I have to say the loss of the Falcons isn't looking as bad as it felt in the moment. Cause they gave the bucks everything they had and were really unfortunate to get one of the worst in uh, roughing the passer calls I've ever seen. I didn't get a chance. Was it for it was, Tom Brady? It was on Tom Brady. Yeah. Of course it and it was. was third down. Falcons might've got the ball back and been able to win it. Pat bucks end up winning. It, yeah, d- dude, you got to see it. I don't even want to talk about it. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was worse than anything that happened in the Saints game, and that's saying something. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I'm just going to keep predicting W's because fuck it, it's our podcast. We're beating the Cardinals this weekend, and that's all there is to it. Yeah. F- 38 to 37 is my <laughs> prediction. <laughs> I'm going to go 31-34. So Us. we're losing? Oh, Okay. No, I, for some reason, like to say the losing score first. Oh, okay. But, uh, I, I well, we're the that. home team, so you say the home team second. That's my... All right, logic. all right. No, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's going to be it for this episode of JR Takes. Thanks for listening. Uh, go Hawks, baby. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>